Good morning. If you have a Bible and you would like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to John chapter 21. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 25. You can feel free to follow along with me in your own Bible, or it's also printed for you on the bulletin that's been provided on the website. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It's great to have you with us. Uh, Again, my name is Sean Slade. I'm the pastor here, and we're so glad to have you with us this morning because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing from the comfort of your own home. For instance, many of you may have been camping last night in your backyard, and so you're still out there having Pop-Tarts in the backyard or something like that. Others of you might uh, be back on that Disney Plus train after the release of the last Star Wars movie on that platform, as well as the great announcement that we're all excited about, that Hamilton will be there on July uh, the 3rd. Or maybe uh, you could be uh, ha- out purchasing your Wii Swim Team edition after having learned that Swim Team is going to be virtual this summer, and so you're virtually swimming, practicing, uh, because see, swimming, if it's virtual Swim Team, you virtually swim, like Wii is virtual, not actual. Is this on? Uh, no, all right. Anyway, but you're not doing any of those things. Uh, you're with us, and we're really glad that you're here. I want to thank you for coming. The reality uh, really is this, that there's nothing better that you could do with your time uh, than consider the risen Jesus and listen to his invitation to love and follow after him. And that's what we want to do this morning. So I do want to welcome you to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer continues to be a church, and what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God, and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God, that he's the Messiah, and that he's entered into this world to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together and we worship him so that we might learn to rest in the love that God has for us in Jesus. And as we rest in that love, we then become a people who delight to figure out ways to get together, uh, whether it's on the FaceTime or the Face Chat or the Zoom machine or whatever it is we're using, we can gather together in order to remind each other of that great love that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight uh, to gather together in service, trying to figure out ways in which we can reflect the love of God to our family and to our friends and to our neighbors who are here in Urban University in Knoxville, and hopefully in some way it would spill out through the matrix, out into the entire world, that the world would know God's great love and mercy for us in Christ. That's who we are. The people are trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that during this Easter tide, we've been looking at these post-resurrection accounts of Jesus with his disciples throughout the different gospels. And so with that in mind, this morning for the last time, we're going to look at resurrection restoration Uh, resurrection restoration as seen in John chapter 21 uh, verses 1 through 25. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? 
They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because... He said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he will remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is a disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word and that uh, your word is truth. There are so many voices clamoring for attention. The world is so loud. The world is so confusing. We pray that now, 
you would meet with us, that you would silence the confusion, and that by the kindness of your Spirit and by the power of your Spirit, you would speak into our hearts true and beautiful things that we might see lovely things of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the other night I was watching uh, the famous Terrence Malick movie, The Tree of Life, and it might be the slowest movie that I've ever watched, but it is absolutely uh, the most beautiful and powerful film that I have ever seen. And in the opening scene, it announces what this film is going to be about. And this film investigates the tension between grace and nature, between loving and earning, between love and performance. And in that opening scene, there's a choir sort of singing and children are playing uh, in the streets and in the front yard. There's a mother who's swinging on the swing that's hanging from this tree in the front yard. And the husband is going back and forth from work to home and home to work. And the narrator comes over this beautiful little scene and says, there are two ways through life, the way of nature or the way of grace. Grace doesn't try to please itself. It accepts being slighted, forgotten, disliked. It accepts insults and injuries. Nature only wants to please itself and others to please it too. And it likes to lord it over them and to have its own way. It finds reasons to be unhappy when all the world is shining around it and love is smiling through all things. They taught us that no one who follows the way of grace ever comes to a bad end. I'll be true to you, whatever comes. It's this beautiful beginning to this film, and as the movie proceeds, the wife, who's played by Jessica Chastain, represents grace. She's beautiful, uh, she's playful, she's kind, she's generous. She loves her children, she loves her husband, she even loves these prisoners that are on their way to trial as she gives them a drink of water on their way. The husband, played by Brad Pitt, he represents nature. He's mean and he's demanding. He's always striving to be liked and impressive and nothing is ever good enough for him. His children are scared of him, his wife has been saddened by him. And towards the end of the movie, you see Brad Pitt uh, just staring at a wall. He's just staring at a brick wall. And there's a shadow of the man that he is on that wall. And then he's in his front yard and he's just walking up and down the sidewalk. And he's gathering clippings in the yard and he's throwing things away. And you realize that he's lost his job. And there he is, he's sitting on the curb and he says... I wanted to be loved because I was great. I wanted to be a big man. I'm nothing. Look at the glory all around us. The trees and the birds. But I lived in shame. I dishonored it all and I missed the glory. I've been a foolish man. And then the son, having looked at his father, his voice whispers over the scene. And the voice says, Father, 
Always you wrestle inside me. Always you will. Always you wrestle inside me. This tension that's wrestling in our souls between nature and between grace, this tension between love and performance, this tension between receiving and earning. And for most of us, that tension is at work. For most of us, life is rooted in this desire to be good enough and smart enough and liked enough. It's about gaining power and being strong so that we can be our own boss not needing anyone, and not owing anyone anything. And that's how most of us engage the world. It's what most of us want from the world. And so we look at the world as a competition. We look at the world as an opportunity for us to prove ourselves. And sadly, when many of us come to Christianity, we come to Jesus, we think that Jesus exists to help us achieve We think that Jesus exists to help us achieve that good life that we deserve. And so Jesus becomes for us sort of a life coach to make us better. And Christianity becomes another avenue for us to perform and another avenue for us to prove ourselves. But what if Christianity isn't about proving anything? What if Christianity isn't about proving, it's about loving? It's what we say every week here at Redeemer, that we're a community that's trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And that's what the resurrected Jesus is teaching us in this passage through his question. He doesn't say, what have you been doing for me? He doesn't say, what have you done for me lately? What does he say? He says, do you love me? That's the question this morning. Do you love me? I mean, think about this question. The resurrected Jesus is now meeting with his disciples in the midst of their failure. And he says, do you love me? He doesn't say, what went wrong? Where'd you make a wrong turn in life? He doesn't say, what were you thinking? Instead, he says, do you love me? Think about what happened, right? The night before Jesus' death, Jesus told them at that last supper, all of you are going to leave me. All of you are going to flee. They're going to strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. And in great confidence, every one of them said, we will never leave you. That very same evening, Jesus is arrested and the disciples fled in fear. And Peter spent the night standing around a charcoal fire, denying that he even knew Jesus. And now here they are, having failed and fled to their old way of life, to this old way of fishing. And they're out on the boat, they're out on the lake, and once again, they're failing. You see it in verse 3. That night, they caught nothing. And as the day began to break, Jesus appeared on the shore. And you can imagine this scene where they're out on the boat and Jesus is kind of walking along the shore and he yells out to them, children, how's it going out there? Have you caught anything? Are they biting? And surely tired and exhausted and frustrated, they cry out through the shame curtains, no, we've had no luck tonight. We've caught nothing. And then Jesus says in verse six, well, why don't you cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. 
you can imagine them sort of rolling their eyes. We're fishermen. We know what we're doing. We're out here all night. But they do it. They throw the nets out into the water. The water begins to churn. The nets get heavy. And in that moment, John says, it's the Lord. They realize that it's Jesus. And what I love about this moment is that Jesus is meeting them in their failures. And he is giving them great success. I hate failure. I assume most of you hate failure. And often in the midst of our failures, we actually push Jesus away. Sometimes in the midst of our failures, we actually blame him for our failures. You probably remember Adam. When God comes to him, he says, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit and then I ate. It's your problem, God. You gave her to me. If you hadn't have given me the woman, I wouldn't have eaten. You might remember Martha who said, Lord, if you'd been here, we wouldn't have had to experience and witness the death of our brother. Many of us have cried out, God, why did you make me this way? Many of us have cried out, God, why don't you give me the things that I want? If you just give me what I want, then I could do the things that I want. And others of us, in the midst of our failures, we push him away and we say, we don't deserve anything from you. You need to just leave me alone. I'm not good enough. And it seems to me that we tend to our, sit in our failures and in doing so, we're pushing him away. But here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus won't be pushed away. He continues to show up and he continues to show up and he continues to show up. He's sort of like Ferris Bueller, right? As Cameron's saying, he'll keep calling, he'll keep calling, he'll keep calling. Well, Jesus keeps calling and he keeps calling because he wants to be with us. He doesn't keep calling because we deserve it. He keeps calling because Jesus loves. And sadly, I think that most of us tend to think that God only shows up if we're strong. That God will only love us if we're strong. But here's the deal. You will never know what it means to be loved until someone stays with you in the midst of your worst failures. If people are only with you when you're strong, if people are only with you when you're courageous, if people are only with you when you have stuff, You'll always wonder if that's why they love you. But when someone never leaves and you have nothing, you know that you're loved. Jesus comes to his people when they have nothing. He comes to his people in their failures because he loves us. You know, Peter thought that it was his strength that made Jesus love him. You'll remember that Peter, Petros, is the rock. He's called the rock, the strong one, the solid one. So he tried to live into that name, thinking if he could be strong, he would be loved. And so you'll remember on that night in the garden, he's the one who pulls his sword. He cuts Malchus's ear off. He's strong, he's protective. He's the one who made the great confession that Jesus, you're the Messiah. 
He's the one who at the Last Supper said, I will lay my life down for you. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. He was strong. And yet you remember the story on that very night, that last night, three times around the charcoal fire when asked, aren't you one of his disciples? He said, I am not. And now the resurrected Jesus, whom he had denied, does something incredibly beautiful. In verse 9, you'll notice this. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. And so now what happens is that Jesus is taking Peter and he's inviting him to stand around the charcoal fire once again. And he invites him to stand with him, to stand in a place where he had once denied him, and he invites him to confess him. He invites him to stand in the place of denial so that he might restore him. And so three times he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Not asking, where were you? Not asking, what were you thinking? Not saying, next time, do better. Not saying, get stronger. Just saying, do you love me? And in the midst of our own failures, all of us fail, all of us deny in our own ways, Jesus is asking us as well, do you love me? In this moment, what Jesus is doing for Peter and what he's doing for us is he is saying, stop looking at your success and stop looking at your failures. Look at me. Do you love me? And what I love about this interaction is that he doesn't just, uh, he doesn't allow Peter to sort of sit and wallow in that failure. I want you to notice verse 9, again, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And in doing this, he's saying, do you love me? All right, let's go eat. Let's sit down and share a meal with one another. And here's the point. Jesus loves to meet us in our failures. He will not leave us. And he meets us not to shame us or to scold us, but he meets us to feed us. He meets us to fill us with his love. And so here's the question, do you love him? Christianity is fundamentally about love. But one of the weird things uh, is that often we turn Christianity into a competition who does the most? Who gets it right? Who knows more? Who's read more? Who serves more? Who's more spiritual? And Jesus is saying, Christianity is not a competition. Look at the question, verse 15. Do you love me more than these? And then he says, feed my lambs. He's saying, don't compete, but feed them. Don't compete with them, but love them. You see, Jesus isn't setting up a competition between Peter and the other disciples. What he's doing here is he's echoing back. You probably remember at the Last Supper, Peter made this bold claim, and he said this, even if they fall away, I will not. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. Now think about this. There they are at the Last Supper. It's Peter and Jesus and all the other disciples. 
And Peter sort of dismisses all the other disciples. As if to say, if Andrew and Philip and John and James, good chance they leave you. They're weak. They're fearful. They're afraid. Not me. I'm strong. I'm committed. I'm courageous. I'm special. He sounds a little bit like Dwight Schrute here. Jim, you know, Pam, they'll leave you. Michael, I'll always be here. And that spirit of competition is something that seems to sort of run through. It seems incredibly prevalent among the disciples. They were constantly arguing about who was going to be the greatest. Two of them had their mom go up to Jesus and say, hey, will you let my boys sit on your right and your left there in the kingdom? And even on the resurrection morning, there's this sweet little beautiful detail about how John and Peter raced to the tomb. And John gives a little jab at Peter and says, and I beat him. And if you keep reading this story in verses 20 on, you see that Peter is saying, is trying to compare his life of following Jesus with John's life of following Jesus. What about him? What about me? And Jesus says to Peter, you don't need to worry about him. Do you love me? Sadly, it seems to me that uh, competition for Jesus's affections often run through Jesus's friends. I mean, Jesus nowhere says, if you do it better than others, I'll love you more. He says, I love you. And then he asks us three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And here's the point, Christianity is not a competition. It is not a competition, it is about love. Jesus is saying, love me, and as you love me, you will love my brothers and sisters. As you love me, feed them. As you love me, tend them. As you love them, serve them, care for them. And this, again, is what we're saying over and over again here at Redeemer. We're trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbors. And as we love God, we will love our neighbors. As we rest in God's love, we will love our neighbors. We're not competing with our neighbors. We're here to love our neighbors, and therefore we lay our lives down for one another, resting, reminding, and reflecting the love of our Savior to one another. Like many of you, I have spent uh, time watching the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, and one of the most impressive things about Michael Jordan uh, is his drive to be the best. Right? And so when the media would begin to hype up Clyde Drexler or Tony Kukoc or Gary the Glove Payton or Larry Bird or Magic Johnson or Kobe Bryant, it made Michael want to dominate them. And he did. <laughs> and it was incredibly impressive, right? It was impressive to see this commitment to be the best. And at the end of episode seven, there's this intense music playing, and Jordan says something like this, if you don't want to be the best, you shouldn't play the game. And I thought, that's brutal. 
I mean, part of it's what we love about Jordan. He is the best. And he wanted to be the best, not just in basketball. He wanted to be the best in golf and in poker and in blackjack and in throwing quarters against the wall with his security guard. That's what he loved, being the best. And because he loved being the best, it seemed at times that he loved being the best more than he loved the game itself. Maybe there's another way to play the game. And it's called love. Most of the world plays basketball and plays other sports and does other things and does their hobbies because they love them and because they find joy in them. But if you play only to be the best, you'll hate yourself when you aren't. You'll despise yourself when you're 48. (laughs) And you'll hate those who are better than you. But if you play because you love it, you'll be filled with joy and gratitude and humility because you have the opportunity to play and do something that you love. This is the way of Christianity. We follow him because we love him. Christianity is about loving Jesus because Jesus is about love and therefore we care for those that he loves. We don't compete against them We don't compete for God's affections. We already have it in Jesus. And that is the power of Christianity. We are already loved. Do you love him? If you love him, you will follow him. I want you to notice the way the interaction ends in verse 19. He says, follow me. And uh, This is kind of an amazing part of this passage for me because we love to point out all these echoes that run through these verses, like uh, three do you love me's for the three I don't know him's. We notice these little details like the charcoal fire of denial, you know, contrasted with this charcoal fire of restoration. You probably even remember that Peter's final denial happened as the rooster crowed. And when do roosters crow? They crow at the break of day. Where are we here when the restoration occurs in verse 4, just as the day was breaking? And all of these are echoing back to Peter's denial in order to lift up God's restoring grace and love. And it's as if John is saying to us, no matter where you fail, no matter when you fail, no matter how many times you fail, God's love remains. And the resurrected Jesus is there inviting you to return to him in love. And if he will do that for Peter, he will do that for you. Whether you sinned last night or this morning, whether you sinned in your home or at the club, whether you sinned one time or a thousand times, Jesus comes to us, the resurrected Jesus comes to us, and he says, do you love me? It's an invitation to come to him in love. There's another echo that orients this text, and I want you to notice where the event occurred. It it occurred, it says, I believe in verse 1, on the shores of the Sea of Tiberias. The Sea of Tiberias is just another name for the Sea of Galilee. It tells us that in John chapter 6. 
Now, why is it a big deal that they're there on the Sea of Galilee? They're there on the Sea of Tiberias. Well, it's a big deal because the first time that Peter ever met Jesus, guess what he was doing? He was fishing on the Sea of Tiberias, on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus got on the boat with him, and Jesus said, why don't you let your nets down? And Peter said, we've been fishing all night and we caught nothing. And Jesus said, well, why don't you let your nets down? And so they let their nets down. And when they let their nets down, the water began to churn, the nets began to fill up, and they could barely get the nets to the shore. And after doing that, Jesus said, follow me. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus in his kindness is taking Peter and taking us with Peter back not only to the failure, but to the very beginning. And he's saying, do you remember how we began? We began by my invitation to follow me. And he's saying to us, from beginning to end, Christianity is about following Jesus. But here's what's sad for us as Christians. Somewhere in between the beginning and our death, we often get confused. And we start trying to do it ourselves. We start competing with one another. And we start trying to lead Jesus rather than follow Jesus. And we become like Gabriella in High School Musical. I got to go my own way. But Christianity has always been and always will be about following Jesus wherever he leads us. Even if it means going through death. And the invitation to follow him is not the dead Jesus. It's the resurrected Jesus. And he says, if you follow me, even through death, you will be with me in life. Why is it then that Jesus invites us to follow him? He invites us to follow him because he wants us to be with him. As Americans, uh, we love JFK's famous speech, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. It's great. It's inspiring. It's American. But it's not the call of Christianity. Jesus isn't asking us, what can you do for me? He is telling us, I have done it all for you. I've done everything for you. Therefore, rest in me. Rest in my love. Follow me in success or in failure, in sickness or in health, in poverty or in wealth, in life or in death. Follow me because where I am, there you will be. I'm married to a woman named Jennifer, and Jennifer and I uh, celebrated our 24th wedding anniversary this week, and we celebrated it by picking up dinner from Chivu, or Chivo, I don't even know how to say it, down on Gay Street. We brought it back to the house. And on the way home, uh, the song Midnight Train to Georgia by Gladys Knight came on our radio. And Jennifer said, you know what? This is the song that convinced me to move with you to Knoxville. 
And I said, really? Midnight train to Georgia? And I said, you know that Knoxville's in Tennessee, not in Georgia, don't you? And she said, yeah, 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 yeah. just listen to the words. And so as we're listening to the lyrics, there's a line that says this, I'd rather live in his world than without him in mine. I'd rather live in his world than without him in mind. And at that moment, I got it. What she was telling me was that I love you. Therefore, I followed you. And that's the way it is with Jesus. We follow him because we love him. We're not competing for his affections. We have them. We're not performing for his affections. We have them. We follow him because we love him. So the question is this, do you love him? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your great love and for your mercy and compassion to us. We thank you that your love never fails and that you constantly invite us to come and follow you. Give us strength, give us courage, give us love and joy to follow after you wherever it is you may lead. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.